So, Patty, great episode today, as always, with Kyle Morgan talking about EBT. Who would have yeah, thought? Yeah, you know, that's one of those subjects I think a lot of our people were sort of like pushed to the side and we don't want to yeah. deal with it. But I think Kyle has a really um, interesting approach yeah. that, you know, can make it a real viable and um a great, a great way to go after that. Business. Great way to go after some, some specific verticals like grocery and C stores and things like that. Right, um, right. And then in the questions in the field, I talk about next action steps, which I guess, frankly, maybe this is the, the this is subjects that sound boring that aren't. Is that the right? is that the is that this the, topic is the day of, the of that exactly? Um, because <laughs> yeah, so we talk about kind of the key to productivity with whether you're recruiting agents or selling merchants. And I talk about that. Trust me, it's not as boring as it sounds. You'll get some tips out of that. And then Patty tells us about the insiders, which maybe was the most most interesting. Uh, of the boring topics, the most interesting yeah, right? <laughs> of the boring topics was cryptocurrency, and you know we've we've heard a lot. Of, it's been in the news a lot, and so we we touch on a few of those subjects. And um, our episode today is brought to you by NMI. You can find them on the web at nmi.com. So James, what do you say we get going? Let's get going. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Pat and I are here today with uh, Kyle Morgan, who is the CEO and head of product at Mercantile Processing. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Awesome. Nice to have so, you here. Yeah. I, I think this is what, is this your third or fourth time on the podcast? Sir, I, think Kyle? That's, I think it's our third. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so, been a few. Been a few. You're up there. You're up yeah. there near the top of our frequent guest list. You always have interesting <laughs> insights to share. So, uh, there, you know, it's, it's funny in our industry, we have a, a huge industry, but frankly, um, there's a lot of people who specialize, but there's not actually as many experts as you would think that kind of have a broad uh, history right. with it. So we appreciate you joining us again. Um, we're going to talk today about EBT um, and this idea of um, kind of government provided programs, which merchants qualify for it and how to, you know, put this into the payment processing mix. Before we dive into that though, Kyle, give us a little background for those that maybe didn't listen to the other two episodes. Give us the the elevator pitch of kind of how you got into mercantile processing and then also what led you to kind of put EBT into the mix of what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for having us back. We, we always enjoy, you know, sharing our, you know, we always call it payment pals in the industry. You know, everybody shares some knowledge and we all try <laughs> and benefit from it. Um, yeah, so for, for me, um, I've been doing this 16 years now. Um, I started when I was 21 uh, in college, just a sales agent. Um, we got our, we started to specialize in bank partners, uh, got our first bank when I was 23, hired my first employee, kind of expanded from there. You know, most of our inbound channel is from financial institutions, uh, with the Maryland Bankers Association preferred provider. We do have some software ISVs we do some work for as well, but basically the reason EBT comes up is because we're doing, you know, financial institutions are a great vertical to go after, except for the fact that you have to become an expert in a little bit of everything. So that's what we ended up doing. Um, specifically, we do a lot of for community banks, which end up in a lot of rural areas. So food stamps, you know, low income areas, stuff like that. You got to know EBT. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, Kyle, I, you know, I was going to comment, you're a young whippersnapper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as everybody who listens to this regularly knows, I've been in the payment space for a really long time. And I just thought I'd set this up with a little bit of history. I remember when EBT was first becoming, and it was really hard. You know, I mean, you know, mostly it was state by state, and they used to have to create these state consortiums so that your EBT could travel from New York to New Jersey, for example. You know, the government took much long, you know, the federal government took much longer to get into it. And but what I think is really key that a lot of people, you know, outside of our industry probably don't understand is that this whole EBT infrastructure 
was built on our card infrastructure. Yep. You know, and uh, that's why it works so well. I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said for that. But before we get into all that, all the details of what you're doing, I'd really love, you know, for you to sort of explain exactly what EBT is, you know, what it what it is and what it isn't. It stands just for everybody. It stands, of course, for electronic benefits transfer. Um, but anyway, could you go beyond that a little bit, Kyle? Yeah, so um, I'll speak a lot during this. The, the, the states that we do a lot of work in are, are Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia. That's kind of our region. Which is where I about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in your backyard. <laughs> right. Um, do a little bit in Pennsylvania. But so I know those states really well. But mm -hmm. so I try to ban transfer is kind of where all these state, um, you know, benefits live. Mm -hmm. Um, now that being said, the most common that's pretty much in all 50 states is your your food stamps. Right. So, um, you know, God, back when I was in high school, I used to be a cashier and a produce clerk at a at a, at a local food line, and you know, they would come in with the actual physical food stamps. They'd mm -hmm. have to tear all those, tear them off and could, hand them over like bills. Hand right? them over, and we count them, and you know, do it all, match it, the whole thing, and then you move to the card. Then mm -hmm. they call it the Snap Card, which right. is the Snap is the name of the program for. Food Maryland, stamps, USDA, right? stuff like that. But mm -hmm. um, so basically at, at its core function, EBT is going to be your food stamps. So yeah. pretty much every merchant provider, every state food stamps is 100% EBT. Now, and, some and, states and those like are state issued, right? I mean, the food stamps, although they're backed by the federal government, if I understand correctly, are issued actually by the states, right? Correct. So okay. it always gets a little, little fun and confusing because right. like, my EBT has declined. Well, what state issued it? It's different than your bank. Now you're talking about state issued food stamps. So you're right. you know you're have an issuing bank. Now you have an issuing, you know, state entity. bureaucracy. Yeah. Good luck getting, <laughs> yeah, getting that one. Right. You know, especially on a issuing Saturday. Bureaucracy. I like that. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's always that. Um, but then in some states they've added additional layers. So those same cards, I've seen those cards add a Visa or a MasterCard logo, and they'll put welfare checks. Or, oh, okay. Um, things along those lines. So they've layered additional layers on EBT in certain states mm -hmm. to help then distribute the same kind of benefits, but across, you know, if you're if you're qualifying for food stamps, you likely qualify for welfare. Right. So why not just give them to you on the same card in the same account? Because again, these are also the consumers that are probably under or not banked either. Right. So we were sending them checks in the mail, and then but they, they would then have go to a check cashier and lose one and a half percent on that, you know. So right. it all it all layers in. Now, again, talk about two different states. Delaware doesn't do that. So, like okay. Delaware, they're still direct depositing or sending out checks for welfare, and then they're giving out food stamps. Okay. So okay. you gotta have to know your state, you know, right. to understand sure. what you can use the EBT for. Right, right. Um, but in again, most situations it's gonna be food stamps. And and just just so I clarify, just you know, just to sort of succinct that um, yeah. you know basically it, the ebt is the account through which different benefits can be funneled is that is that a correct assumption correct kind of think of it like an old the old amex isa right where it was always separate you know mm -hmm. what i mean like okay we put that on the merchant account now it's all blue, not blue but right you know you would have to put that number onto your var sheet and then you would get funded by amex separately with ebt it's still the same kind of way where you have to put the ebt number on the var sheet so that way the state will fund your merchant. Gotcha. It's not part of the merchant deposit. So that's the one other big thing. It's still funded right. by the state. It's usually 48 hour funding. Um, but again, the merchants don't mind because they're not paying a percentage. So right. Right. you know, so that's a that's a big thing for them. So they'll they'll get they get funded by the state. 
Um, and the state has their own funding protocol, stuff like that. But in general, two business days. And so we have, the thought, is the state paying the, I'm sorry, James, but if I could just, is the state paying the processing fees? So the transaction fees are, are actually dictated by the merchant service provider. Okay. Um, and then the rest of it, there's no, there's nothing else. So whatever we as the industry charge per transaction is it's all like that those. merchant is going to pay okay. for that transaction. So there's still money to be made is what I'm getting at, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And so, so we understand a little bit of what it is now. So electronic benefits transfer, we have the, the idea of the food stamps that go on to the, to the, you know, ET card, you talk about snap, which I believe is, is even, uh, what's the one that's specifically for, uh, families with, with children, I believe as well. Wick, the, isn't it? W women Wick and is, infant children or something Wick, like that. Yeah, some WIC states that are on the EBT card as well. Some okay. are, it, it depends on your state and how Got it's it. Okay. So the idea would be EBT is the electronic benefits transfer. And you're saying different government kind of entities and bureaucracies to put it with the Patty, with the Patty put yeah. it, um, they can put different benefits, government benefits on this card. And then the consumer has this card. They can go and use it at different establishments that accept it. Yeah. So I guess the next uh, logical question would be what types of businesses, what types of merchants can accept this form of payment? Um, and how big of a deal is it to the merchant that they have a smooth EBT process if they're accepting it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, you know, this is what, it's a niche that we kind of went after after we started really learning about it, I'd say about 10, 10 12 years ago. Um, we started realizing that, okay, this isn't just a big grocery chain thing. You know what I mean? The grocery right. chains got the ones who started it, but, you know, the state actually approached us. The state of Delaware came to us for a contract. They said, listen, we want to put mobile credit card machines at every um, of these farmers markets. Mm -hmm. And so we actually ended up getting the contract with the state of Delaware to do all the farmers markets for EBT. They had created like an entity and then boom, all these different farmers came in. And if you were part of the SNAP program, you would go up to the cashier, get your token and or buy your food and whatever, then they would fund that out. Right. So that was our first like real big EBT, you know, introduction. But after we realized that like, oh, well, all these farmers should already have their own machines on all these produce stands and all this stuff like that. So we ended up going down that path and once you start to really unravel that, you realize that it's any uncooked, unprepared food should be taking an EBT card, period. So you're talking about seafood markets, um, produce markets. Um, we've got places that do um, butcher shops. Um, anywhere that you're selling food should be an EBT acceptor, um, especially if you're anywhere near any kind of low-income area. And most people are at some point. There's you know, within them. And those guys are going to buy their food somewhere. It might as well be from a small business and not yeah. Walmart. <laughs> is is cooked food also included in that? Like I think of like, I go to my convenience <laughs> store, right. And look for, you know, get a sandwich or fried chicken or whatever. So that's actually one of the rules. Um, you're not allowed to do cooked food. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So cooked food is, is an exclusion, as an exclusion. Merchants have to be very careful about that. You know, right. they can't sell other items on that same EBT transaction. So cooked food is one. Um, paper goods is another. You can't sell paper goods, cigarettes, alcohol. Obviously. It's obvious, yeah. but, right. you know, some of these convenience stores have a small produce set. Like the bodega is the idea. We don't really have them down here in Delaware, but right. about New York City. New York, same exactly. Place you would go to the corner market, you could get everything. Those guys should all be, mm. you know, accepting EBT. Yeah. Um, you know, so those are some of the limitations um, there are some loopholes that, again, we kind of, you know, knock on wood off the record, kind of stick with some of these guys. So you guys are Maryland area. Mm -hmm. So the common one that we see in some of our seafood clients is you can go buy a bushel of crabs on EBT and then pay them a dollar and they'll steam them for you. 
So that's some of the loopholes we've seen in this situation. Same thing for shrimp, whatever. So they pay the dollar. Yeah. Pay the dollar in cash. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. The steaming fee. So so technically, technically the EBT was used for uncooked food. Correct. And then the dollar was to cook it. And so (laughs) yeah, that's, that's interesting. Okay. So what, what other exclusions are there? What else do we, do they need to understand? Because obviously I would imagine that could get a little complicated in terms of what you can and cannot uh, put on these EBTs. So talk a little bit about that and kind of what other maybe, you know, obvious or maybe not obvious restrictions there are. Yeah. So, um, so the ones we kind of just talked about, so alcohol, paper goods, cooked goods, stuff like that. Um, you know, where it gets a little less obvious, it's like, well, what about a cold sandwich? What about prepared? You know, so you run the line, you know, you gotta be, gotta be careful, but like technically everything in the deli case is okay. So if you're going to put a, a ready-made sandwich, in the deli case fine, but technically if you're making a you know, turkey club and you're selling it as part of a meal, no, you know what I mean? It gets a little dicey, you know what I mean? Yeah. On that kind of stuff. So we kind of say, listen, if you're going to put a barcode on it and it's cold, you're good in general. You know what I mean? But anything else, I, we just kind of stick away from it. Um, we really don't want to see somebody who's running like a sandwich shop doing it. Now, that being said, we do have deli clients that do. So if they're coming in and buying a pound of deli meat, cool. Just don't sell your sandwiches on the same EBT transaction. So, um, you know, those are those situations where it gets a little edgy. Some states are, are a little laxed on it. They'll say, well, it's definitely cold, so it's not. But again, we we just try and say, you know, be careful with that. Um, the big thing we try and do, and this is we're kind of going back to our industry, um, so one of our internal products is a, is a POS system that we actually built the EBT integration for, um, you know, it's a retail system. So it separates the two. So again, trying to keep it so your, your cashiers don't make that decision. You ring it all in. Okay. You had a hundred dollars in food and this thing of paper towels is three ninety nine. The system only lets you run the a hundred dollars for EBT. You still have a balance of $3 for your paper towels. Mm. Now it's an advantage for a lot of people because a lot of, Square doesn't do this. Square doesn't separate. Square has Tally Pay. You have to like open another app and have another reader for EBT. Um, they don't separate the order into two different ones. So again, if you're going after Square in our industry, EBT is a differentiator. Right. Um, a lot of the retail stuff that's out there, some of the bigger guys don't have an EBT separator either. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, if you're going after this market, make sure your POS software has some form of way to go, okay. I'm going to tell the system what is and isn't qualified. So my cashiers just don't have to think because it is still too, the other day it's going to end up being two transactions right. most of the time. Right. Right. Actually, you, you just said, you kind of answered my next question, which was sort of the technology, because I have noticed a lot that it's a separate terminal for the EBT yep. and, and for the, you know, traditional forms of payment. And I start thinking, Oh my God, that, you know, if I was a cashier, I'd be going crazy. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, so, so, so talk to that if you wouldn't mind. I mean, is you, is your, um, you know, integrated uh, solution unique or are there several, and I, I know what you said about Square, but, you know, are there, are there um, companies yeah, out I mean, there? That some are of the big these? ones don't have it. I mean, and a lot of it's because they're not, they're not from the U.S. So like Vend, okay. Lightspeed, a lot of those foreign companies that you know are out there, they, they were they were designed somewhere else and they got kind of brought in. Um, they don't understand ABT because they don't have that in their countries. Um, mm-hmm. So we've seen that some of these softwares that have kind of come in under retail 
don't have it. And it's kind of a niche market when you really think about it. Sure. Um, so, I mean, there's a ton of retail that just do doesn't have the EBT function. Um, so, and all that is, again, just separating the two types of um, products. Right. Um, so as long as you have a software that does that, that's step one. Step two is you have to have pin debit. Um, that's another functionality of that. So you have to have your encrypted pin pad right. or an encrypted terminal where that person can put in their EBT pin number along with their transaction. Um, that credit card machine has to have MagSwipe. Again, it sounds simple, but people I started seeing pin pads go away from MagSwipe and only have chip. So a lot of these EBT cards are still in the MagStripe. So mm -hmm. that's still something that's out there. Um, and then, um, you know, the Omnicommerce side of things, you can't do EBT online right yet. And that's still something that they're working on, um, you know, but that's also becoming an issue during the pandemic where you still have to do in-person transactions right. or they had to call you yeah. in and then punch it in the machine via the manual. Right. There's no e-commerce there's no e for EBT yet either. So um, all things are being worked on. Um, but in our space, you know, it's still, like you said, you still see two separate terminals. So again, if you're in the industry and you're walking in, that's a talking point. Hey, I see you have a separate machine for EBT. Why are you doing that? Okay. And in the state of Delaware, I'll use it again as an example, they had contracted it with Wells Fargo and they were charging merchants 30 bucks a month for using that machine. So we were having conversations. Well, does it go down? Who services it? What happens? You know, what do you get for the what do you get for 30 bucks a month? If I charged you 10 cents a transaction, would that be better or worse than your $30 a month? You know, so again, it's a conversation to have, but you can eliminate one piece of hardware. You know, it's kind of the idea of like, it's like, you know, Uber Eats and all those other guys, the less you have, and the more you can consolidate that technology, the the better off of those commercials sure. usually. Sure. Yeah, and I would imagine for the cashiers, especially, that would be a pretty important, uh, well, and I oh, think yeah. too, even, even for the consumer, I mean, you know, we haven't really talked about that too much here, but mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, one thing that definitely strikes me about this focus on EBT is... Frankly, it has to feel good to know that you are expanding the options, a lot of times healthier options, less expensive options, to where those who are in need of those services and who are getting these electronic benefits, that they have other options to use. They don't have to just go to the mega grocery store. They can actually, you know, go to the the local meat market, that sort of thing, and and get that. So I think that's that's really cool. And I would imagine even for them on the technology side, right? It's probably very confusing to them. They're, you know, in most cases, maybe they're they're probably not trying to use it in a way that's fraudulent, right? They're, they 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 want to use it correctly. <laughs> and so when they come up to the counter, it'd be great to say to know, okay, you're ringing everything up, and the things that are qualified, I'm going to pay for with EBT, and the things that are not qualified, I'm going to pay for separately. Right. Yeah. Is that what you're noticing? That there's kind of that need in the market to like understand that rather than just leaving it up to the cashier to guess which thing goes where. It's definitely a it's an expertise that if if somebody any of our merchant salespeople could learn, they could go in and take some advantage of. Yeah. Um, I would say there's still a, an opening in that market because nobody's really talking to these customer merchants about it. Right. Um, and I don't know what it is. I mean, I think the only thing I would say is that there's not a lot of money in it for us as an industry, but you get the processing usually along with it. So just this is one of those like, it's like kind of like gift cards. You don't make a ton of money on gift cards, but you, you come in with them because you get the rest. Right. So. And, and because once they sign up for the gift card program, or in this case, the EBT program, you know, your yeah, attrition is going to be next to zero because... Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> rather difficult to switch, especially if you have a unique technology solution like what you're describing. So let's let's revisit the fee structure real quick. So let's get specific for our industry for a second. So to clarify, there's no interchange. There's nothing like, you know, kind of the AMX Op Blue or the VMD interchange. There's none of that. There's no card brand fees and assessments. And there's nothing like that. There's no cost to the merchant whatsoever other than what 
the processor charges um, oh. and the processor is charging uh, what exactly? What's the industry standard? Is there normally a monthly yeah, fee? Yeah, it usually it's lumped in with your debit um, off fee. So whatever you're paying on your Schedule A for your debit off fee is usually also your ABT um, right. cost. Um, right. You know, I, and what are, and what are what are merchants usually paying though? Like what ten are to they? fifteen cents. Okay, ten to fifteen cents per transaction. Yeah, and then most agents are making seven to ten on that. Sure. Um, right. Again, not a ton of money, but no, but it's something. It's it's something, you know, and sure. it's it can be more. You know, I've seen I've seen agents charge more because they're offering their expertise and they're helping them mm-hmm. do it. So yeah. Um, but I would say that's kind of the average, and you know, that keeps you competitive and still make a little bit of money. So. Yeah, got it. Yeah. And then, and then, in terms of in terms of like offering the EBT, you know, I'm sure you have some agents and partners that have done better than others with this. Um, yeah. What are they doing? The ones who are being successful, are they you know going after specific merchants with this? Are they walking in? Are they like any thoughts on kind of the best way to target merchants with this and set set yourself apart with it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a couple. Um, so there's, a, I mean, I would say there's like three major ways you kind of do it. Not, <laughs> not to go too long, but Mobile is one, you know what I mean? So mobile, you have your, your farmer's markets, your guys like that. You're going, hey, listen, I can give you a, a mobile credit card machine that also takes EBT. How many farmer's markets are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, where are you going? Oh, I go I go to this one, this one, and this one. Great. If you could take EBT and credit card at that location, and I can help you at your your regular stand here on, you know, the, the, the road, you know, two machines, blah, blah, blah. Again, offering a solution. Oh, that'd be great. Cool. Let's switch you over. I'll, I'll match your current rates. I'll get you set up for EBT. Oh, you're at three and a half percent. Cool. I'm good. Let's go. You know what I mean? So yeah, you're offering a value add and not worrying about the processing rates anymore. Um, the other one would be moving somebody from a legacy cash register to a POS. Mm. Again, that's going to be one of those situations where are you manually doing your EBT? Have you gotten in trouble? Are you worried about your hot food? Are you worried about your paper? Good? You know, again, it's more of a scare tactic, but again, you're talking about liability. You're talking about fines. Yeah, right. This POS solution can help you solve it. I'll help you set it up. Um, again, I'll match your current rates. Let's take a look. Yep, for this rate that you're currently paying, is, I can give you the machine for nothing, or I can give you the POS for nothing, or I'm only going to charge you a setup fee, whatever that is. Right. Um, you know, and the last piece of that is going to also, is always going to be the, the grocery interchanges, the special interchange. That's been one of our previous right. podcasts sure. that we've talked about. Um, grocery has a cap on debit and a cap on credit once you get a certain size. So again, we come in and go, hey, Mr. Merchant, you're paying two and a half, three percent. I'll match that rate. But if I can qualify him for the grocery interchange on top of giving him an EBT solution, now I've made the margin difference. And so now we're seeing on some of those deals, 130, 140 basis points on top of that. And then you want to flip it even further, go cash discount at 3%. And then your cost of interchange is only one. Now you're making... A lot of money. Serious money on, yeah, you can really on EBT something. merchants as well. Right. Um, the last little piece, I know you guys talked about ATMs a little bit. Some of these locations are some of the best ATM places oh, as bet. well because you're near Section 8 housing. Right. Those EBT cards also act as cash cards often enough in Maryland specifically. Mm-hmm. So those are very busy ATMs also because they're coming in, taking their welfare money out. Wow. And the same time they're doing EBT, the same right. time they're you can kind of loop all that stuff back in. It's all that's a nice lucrative yeah. little business. Sure. Yep. I think it just I think it just speaks to the larger trend that we talk about so much, which is that verticalization. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's about, you know, partners choosing and saying, hey, you know what? I'm gonna be the person that's gonna go after 
the grocery store, the C store, whatever it might be, and and dominate that vertical. And then making sure you have all the pieces. You have the EBT. You have the point of sale system that works well with EBT. You've got the ATM partner. You know, you've got all the pieces and kind of fit that all together. So, um, Kyle, it's always so interesting talking with you. This is a great topic because I mean, it's it's actually interesting to me. It kind of speaks to the um, complexity of the payments industry that you know, still on a regular basis, it seems like once a month, we have a podcast about something we've never talked about before. <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm, how many years mm-hmm. in we are and right? we've never talked about EBT. So I really appreciate that. Talk to those who are listening right now uh, that maybe have an interest in working with you or learning more about sure. that. What kind of partners are you looking for? Do they need to be geographically located near? Like give us a little idea of what you're looking for and then tell them how they can reach out to learn more. Yeah, sure. I mean, so the biggest one that we do, we actually do a lot of work for a lot of, um, so our, our POS is processor agnostic. Um, you know, you have to pay the gateway fee and buy the buy the hardware from us. But um, it's our EBT POS, so they they can reach out to us about oh, cool. that. Um, and then we also are always looking for W two um, reps for our bank programs as we continue to expand that. Um, we're actually going national with that um, next year, so awesome. um, always looking to talk to people about that. So for me, if you just want to email me, I'll get you in touch. Depending on which one you're interested in, maybe have a qualifying conversation with a person, and then then get you in the right department here. Uh, my email is kmorgan um, at mpiprocessing.com. Um, that's probably the best way to get hold of me or just reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Kyle Morgan from Mercantile Processing. Awesome. Kyle, thank you so much for your insights. As always, a pleasure having you on the podcast again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. This has uh, been really enlightening. So James, I uh, you know I guess got an announcement today that really piqued my interest. You know, NMI, our sponsor, um, is acquiring Agreement Express, which is of course is a SaaS solution for underwriting and onboarding. Um, yep. I think this is incredible news. I, I shared it with yep. you just before we started the podcast. It's sort of like that's like the, in my mind probably the one little hole that existed in, yep. in this omnibus solution yeah. set. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And and I mean, I've had so many conversations with VJ over the years, and I think his vision that is just so relevant for our audience is that, mm-hmm. you know, there is this payback experience that exists with Square and Toast and Stripe and all these others. Right. And, you know, it's this idea of setting up payment processing accounts easily, instantly, in a lot of cases, um, having this integration with the technology. And the idea is there's only two ways the ISOs are going to get that. They're either going to get that by investing in the technology themselves. Building it all from the ground up. Right. Or they're going to use a processor agnostic solution of which right now, frankly, I think there's like one. <laughs> and that would be NMI combined with Iris combined with Agreement Express. Right. And so Agreement Express was kind of that missing piece where they mm-hmm. needed the underwriting flow that would make this all work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really excited about it. I think they're going to do some fantastic things with Agreement Express. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, the... Um... Iris acquisition was at the beginning of the year. Right. Friedman Express at the end of the year, sort of bookended yeah. 2022, mm-hmm. I think, perfectly for them. So, and, now, and now I think as you go to 2023, I really believe we're going to see them driving a lot of efficiencies with removing friction. Mm-hmm. Like right now, the, the hardest thing I think for, for um, NMI, frankly, is that they don't control all the friction. Right. You know, some of the friction comes from, you know, FIS or Fiserv or Tesis or Global or whoever's actually doing the underwriting or whatever. But now they can work with these partners where they already have these integrations through Iris. Now with Agreement Express, it's going to turbocharge that a bit and, and they can and, begin and speed to it all up you know, and, you know, Right. Because I mean, isn't that really the, you know, the whole concept of it taking so long? Underwriting, yes. I've heard, you know, what, a week to two weeks it can take sometimes. Right? It can. I mean, you, you know, now most good underwriting departments are taking a day or two. 
Um, but th- even that though, there's a big, there's a humongous difference between it taking two hours and taking two days, exactly. um, just as far as the flow of things. And, but it's not only that, it's not only about the delay. It's also about the integration with technology and saying, once the account's approved, what happens next? Mm-hmm. And what NMI is trying to do is to make it to where the thing that happens next is that the, whatever the software was that it's integrated with just automatically starts working. Right. Versus there's this whole VAR sheet and you fill out all these forms and, you know, it's like, so they're trying to streamline that entire process through IRS. And I think Agreement Express uh, fits perfectly into that. So very excited to see. Um, So head over to NMI.com. That's NMI.com. Or you can also head over to Iris, I-R-I-S-C-R-M.com as well to check out those companies and learn more about the Agreement Express acquisition. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So Patty, today in the questions from the field, I want to talk about next action steps. And next action steps are the key to productivity for both agents, uh, recruiters, and, and agent support people trying to, re- to you know activate agents. Mm-hmm. And it's the key for those who are trying to sell merchants, trying to sure. sell right. software solutions, whatever it is. Right. And regardless, when you're trying to get people through a process, you need next action steps. Now, yeah. Yeah. When I say next action steps, Patty, what everybody thinks about is, oh, I have those follow up with Susan on Tuesday. Right, right. All right. Um, you know, that is not a next action step. No, it's so not. the key to a next action step is we have to have an honest dialogue of communication with the people that we're trying to get them to move forward in the process. We need them to share enough information with us so that we know what their plans are. We know what they're planning to do. So I had a really interesting experience recently that I'll share. I can't give too much detail, but um, I was working with one of my large consulting clients. It's a really big point of sale company and uh-huh. they have a direct to agent program. And so we were, uh, I was talking to their team about this idea of next action steps. And we kept seeing in the system, next action steps, like, you know, follow up with Bill or Bill's thinking about it, or, you know, uh, Susan is looking over some things or whatever. And these are like, I'm like, no, these are not next action steps. I'm like, I, I need to explain. So what I did was I actually reached out to uh, five of their resellers that they had recently signed up that hadn't done a deal yet. And I said, I'm going to record. And so I got them to agree that each of these resellers, that I would give them a free 30 minute consulting call if they'd let me record it and share it with the team at this point of sale company. Okay. So I reached out and I recorded these 30 minute Zoom sessions where I was talking to the reseller as if I was the recruiter slash agent support person. And um, I shared it with the team and it was really insightful, I think, for them because we started the conversation of me just talking to them and saying, tell me about why you're doing this. Why are you selling for this point of sale company? There's a million other things you could sell. What's the particular reason or passion behind this? And so we're having these con- this open dialogue and this right. conversation, you know, and I just kept probing and, um, you know, genuine curiosity, right? And so they were finding that really interesting. And, and then I would say, okay, great. So where are we at in the process? I know you, it sounds like you're really a good fit for this. And I don't think you've placed a deal yet. You have one in mind that you're interested in placing right now or like, where where are we at in the process? And then it was like, oh, well, I have this one merchant that I really think is going to be a great fit. Oh, awesome. Or it would say, well, I haven't got out in the field and started it yet because I don't have this marketing material piece or because I am unsure about this one area of the training or whatever. 
right? Right, right. So then all of a sudden we start to identify the true next action steps, which are only going to come from dialogue. I could have easily ended there and, oh, let's follow up. And it's like, no, no. Then I took the last five minutes and say, okay, let's clarify a couple of things. So first of all, you need these three things. Let me write this down. I'm going to make sure you have all three of these things by the end of the day today. And let me write them down. So you need this, you need this, and you have this. Now, let me clarify. You're saying, if I can get you all three of those by the end of the day today, when do you plan to go out and start prospecting? Well, I plan to go out Monday. Okay. So I'm going to have somebody follow up with you Monday around four o'clock. You think you'd be done prospecting by then? Oh yeah, I'm going to go in the morning. Okay. Maybe we'll even do two o'clock. So two o'clock, someone is going to reach out to you to see what questions you have after your first day of prospecting this coming Monday from nine to one. That is the next action step. Right, right, right. right. And then, and then the key is you then have to continue having next action steps. So you have that one, then you got to do the next one, right? right? So when that's done, you say, okay, great. You went prospecting. What happened? Well, I got these two people that are interested. Okay. Do they need a demo? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Do you, or do you already have one set up or do we need to work on it? No, I don't have it set up. Okay. Do you want to call them today? And let's talk about by the end of the day today, what the schedule is, right? So it's, it's a constant communication back and forth with honesty and transparency. Same thing when you're selling a merchant account, you know, if they're not even willing to share with you their true objection, you might as well not put them in your pipeline. You don't have a real next action step. Right. You know, right. No, no next action step, no prospect, right? No prospect. I like that. Yes. And, you know, uh, well, let me think about it. Uh, no, I mean, I wouldn't just say no, but I mean, that's, you know, that's to me, think. no, sure. I'm not going to yeah. put you in my pipeline if you want to think about it. That's not a next action step is you thinking about it because they're not going to take that action. We all know that. Right. So the question is, well, I really appreciate you considering it, right? But before I go, let's dig a little deeper because I want to understand what you're, what you're, you know, what the concern is or what you're thinking about so I can be better prepared for the next meeting. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about? What do you think of it so far? What's your kind of initial impression, you know? And then they give you the, the details and then you know, oh, okay, now I know what I'm up against. Now maybe you push forward with a sale. Maybe you agree to come back and meet with a partner, whatever it is, but you got to know what you're dealing with and have this honest back and forth communication, right? Right. Um, right. One of the best ways to do this is to agree on shared objectives. So when you're talking to an agent, you know, you both agree that they want to make a sale. You know, they, they want to get paid commission. They, you know, that's a shared objective. Well, right. what's next on this path to that objective? When you're talking to a merchant, they want to reduce their payment processing costs. Maybe they want to eliminate it. You're doing dual pricing. Um, maybe like we talked to Kyle today, they want to implement EBT and they want to get that all into their system. That's an objective, objection, objective, right? So What's next on this path to that objective? So last thing I'll share real quick is you need these next action steps that again come from this honest dialogue and communication. And then secondly, like you just mentioned, you know, no next action step, no prospect. The idea is if you're going to have a prospect in your pipeline, they must have a next action step. And if they don't, get them out of your pipeline. They're not interested. Reach out to them one more time. I use what I usually do and say, Hey, I'm just, I'm looking through my pipeline here of people I'm trying to work with. And I'm realizing that I actually don't have any action that I know of that I can take with, with our relationship at this point. I feel like we Mm -hmm. kind of reached the end of the line here. We're at a point where either you're going to move forward with me or you're not. And I can certainly appreciate either one of those decisions. Obviously I want your business. I'd love for you to work with me. Um, Are we going to work together or should we just call it quits right now? Right. Right. I've said that to hundreds and hundreds of people. Fish or cut bait, as my father used to exactly. say. Exactly. Yeah. So establish your next action steps. Have honest communication. Hold yourself to a higher standard in terms of if somebody's going to be in your pipeline, you have a legitimate next action step. You have a real, honest, transparent dialogue with them, and you've agreed, mutually agreed of what's going to happen next. And if you don't have that, cut them loose, move on to the next one so you can provide a great experience to the people who are actually interested rather than a mediocre experience to everybody. Yeah, great advice. Thanks, Tim. 
Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, James, you know, I know this is not like um, directly related to merchant services, but I thought this week I'd touch on the big crypto news of late. Oh, um, sure. I think it's becoming more and more related. More and more. It is indeed. And, uh, you know, the recent collapse of crypto exchange FTX, yeah. which until its demise was considered one of the largest and um, most reputable players in the market. Um, of course, now it's seeking bankruptcy protection um, after the exchange experienced the crypto equal, equivalent of a bank run. Yeah. Um, users, users are believe, believed to have lost billions of dollars in crypto assets. All kinds of individuals and organizations have been caught up and there's been a cascade of bankruptcies, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, BlockFi, which is a crypto lender that was heavily exposed to, to um, FTX. Before its implosion, FTX was valued at $32 billion. Wow. Had high-profile backers like SoftBank and Tiger Global, as well as celebrities like Tom Brady and the tennis pro um, Naomi Osaka. Yep. Uh, the European Central Bank, which is the EU's version of the Fed, estimates that venture capital firms um, had $17.9 billion in Bitcoin investments as of July. Wow. Yeah. Um, like other crypto exchanges, FTX operated outside the traditional banking system, so there were no requirements around trans- transparency or risk management. Yep. Um, and of course, lately, market risks have um, manifested in plummeting values of cryptocurrencies yep. across the board. Uh, on, on today, the day that we're recording this, um, Bitcoin is valued at 17000 that's down, down 75% from what, in a year. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, the European Central Bank has let, likened Bitcoin to a game of chance. In a blog post in late November, they uh, characterized the, the fact that it stayed at 17,000 for the past several months as, quote, an artificially induced last gasp before the road to irrelevance. Pretty wow. strong words for a regulator. Um, of course, they didn't offer any evidence of price ni- manipulation or anything, but you know clearly yeah. that's the feeling. Yeah. And it's not—they're not alone. I mean, regulators all over the world are talking about drafting rules for the crypto world. Yeah. Well, well, US. I think it's—isn't it exceedingly ironic that the, you know, the only thing at this point that can save crypto is regulation. I know, right? Isn't that, <laughs> that's exactly the point I was going to get to, James, because, yeah. you know, the crypto industry emerged as an alternative to the legacy financial system. Right. Following the, the Wall Street collapse in 2008, the idea was to create a system that wasn't caught up in the high-risk practices of a small number of powerful firms. And guess what happened? Yep. <laughs> you know, I read one report and just blew my mind. It said that the trading volume of cryptocurrencies on Binance, is that how you pronounce it? I'm not sure. It was $4.9 trillion year to date as of early November. Hmm. That's one 
one cryptocurrency exchange, that total was exceeded the combined total of seven of its closest competitors. Of those seven closest competitors, FTX was number six on the list and the popular um, exchange Coinbase was fifth. So both of those are pretty well known and pretty popular. So it gives you an idea of the concentration of power, you know? And um, I just think that, um, you know, right now here in the U.S., there's going to be a hearing in Congress over the FTX collapse on December 13th. Both the SEC and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission are pushing for regulatory authority. Yeah. I think it's interesting that uh, Sam Bankman Freed, who was the Mm -hmm. guy that ran FTX, was a big proponent of empowering the CFTB to regulate crypto exchanges. Although I doubt that his exchange well, in the past muster, you know? Well, again, though, the, the interesting thing, so I actually, uh, uh, Jack Christensen, my, um, sure, my sure. business partner, mm-hmm. he's very much tuned in all of this. And so he actually sent me uh, quite the interesting exchange that Sam bankman fried had with um, different reporters. And now that he's kind of out of the company, he is really somebody needs to get some duct tape put over his mouth. That's for, exactly what I was just I mean, say. <laughs> he's, he's just walking himself right into prison at this point. He really but, is. But, you know, he just said some outlandish things and some pretty insane things. But yeah, I mean, he basically has said that all of that that he talked about of the regulation and all that, that that was all just that was bogus. All cool. That was yeah. all just to make it seem more legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like every word out of his mouth makes people like him less at this point. Um, he's, he's sort of like the Elon Musk of crypto. <laughs> well, no, he's he he has the uh, you know the raw intellect to where he feels like a bit like an Elon Musk, but he doesn't have the operational capabilities. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes. I actually made a post on uh, LinkedIn last week where I was talking about um, you know just because you have a business idea that doesn't really mean anything. You know, you have to have the experience and the resources to execute on it. Well, and, that's it. Uh, I mean, when I was ta- saying about him being like. Um, Musk, it's just in terms of the what we used to in the old days called diarrhea of the mouth. Like, right, you should just shut up. You know? Yeah, I know, like, I know, I, I agree. Mean, and I think what's interesting though is generally speaking with Elon, he has a what he's saying, he has a purpose. His purpose may be oh, ill intended, yeah. but yeah. he's saying it for a reason. This guy's just an idiot, yeah. At this point, this guy I mean, trying to be like that, but is, he's extremely yeah. smart. But, you know, just because you just because you understand mathematics doesn't mean you know how to run an operation with billions of dollars. Well, that's the thing. I mean, just because you're a genius doesn't mean you can run a company. Yeah. And so he was uh, that that was kind of the issue there. And uh, yeah, so I'll be very interested to see how it how it pans out. I mean, you know, I could definitely see him spending some time in prison over it, but we'll see. Oh, I I could definitely. And what was interesting is I, you know, I have um, that's one of the things on my news feed. And um, it was interesting today. Because I get these, you know, obscure things. Right. And one of the obscure news items I got today was the woman that was his one-time partner that was with, she was spotted at a coffee shop in New York City that's around the corner from the um, U.S. Attorney's Office uh, this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no coincidence there, right? So, so uh, well, it'd be very interesting to see how it plays out. But I think, uh, I think, you know, I'm still bullish on on crypto in general, long term, as far as the technology that underpins it. Technology, um, yeah, sure. But I think, uh, yeah, I think a lot of the the I, I just feel like crypto has just not delivered on any of its promises. It really no. hasn't. No, and it really so hasn't. There has to be a pretty significant shift in order for it to really gain momentum again. So we'll see That's, how it goes. And and I think that you know it's 
it kind of reminds me of like metals were in the 70s and the 80s you know mm -hmm. everybody was like oh this is gonna be you know go invest in gold the metal you know right right and you know and that kind yeah, of fell yeah. by it, it basically way. it's like that if the thing you were buying was air right yeah. because at least when you bought gold you got gold i mean the, the have, price might have plummeted know? but you knew right. at some point you had the thing that you bought <laughs> with right. crypto it's like what did you buy exactly so you know yeah. uh yeah, yeah. So, it'll anyway. be interesting and like i said i mean we've talked here we've had you know oh, a yeah. couple of episodes where people you know they're doing it the pos i yeah. see it i yeah. see it the technology is being viable i just think right. that you know a lot of the hype um yeah. you know has gotten these people in trouble Awesome. And, well, thanks and for it the is update. interesting that, you know, here we are, you know, here's a system that was created to avoid regulation and now right. they're crying for regulation. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff, Patty. Thanks for sharing. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.